Okay. When we wound up last week, we were in chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, and let's pick up there that today. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Then Jesus came down from the mountain. Now if we go back to the top of um, a verse um, of chapter 5, when we started the sermon on the mount, said Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So chapter 8, we had uh, 5, 6, and 7, which we know and call the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 8 uh, picks up there when Jesus came down from the mountain, a large crowd followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him. A leper. Um, Hold your finger in Matthew 8 because we're going we're gonna to come back. But go to Leviticus, and that's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 13. Now, <clears throat> um, we don't know anything about leprosy as far as the Scripture is concerned until Moses said this in chapter 13 and chapter 14 and it is very extensive of what Moses said to them about leprosy uh, verse uh, chapter 13 verse 1 of Leviticus and the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron saying when a man has a skin spot so forth and so on he says and when you do that <clears throat> Archie you can't do anything about that that's Ken's got control of that. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he, he, talks about, he talks about this, about leprosy, and he, he goes for two long chapters. There's a hundred and some odd verses that Moses talks about leprosy. Um, now, <laughs> it's very detailed, and when you go through it, uh, Moses' instructions are very detailed. Do we have any weavers in here? Anybody that has weaved? <laughs> uh, no. We are you weavers? I did when I was seventeen. You did when you were seventeen. Do you know what a warp and a woof is? Okay. Do y'all? Do y'all know what a warp and a woof is? I did not. I did not. A warp and a woof refers to two components in series of threads which woven material is made on a loom. The warp is set lengthwise yarn and the woof is called crosswise yarn. The woof crosses the warp from left to right and over and under. The reason I say that, just the detail that God told Moses to put out there he talks about this um, in verse uh, 48 of verse 13. He said whether, he's talking about, the. let's go back to verse 47. When a garment has a mark of leprosy in it, whether it's a wool garment or a linen garment, 
whether it's in the warp or the woof of the linen of the wool or whether the leather or any article made of leather. And he, he says that one, two, three, four, five, six times in just that chapter. So he's talking about the details of leprosy and if you find it there. He also said in verse, uh, let's look on verse 10 and 11 of chapter 14. Now on the eighth day he was to take two male lambs without defect and a yearling uh, ewe lamb without defect, defect and three-tenths of an ephod of fine flour mixed with oil and grain and a log of oil, which is a pint. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleaned at the foresaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So there's great detail in here in, in history past about leprosy and how to deal with it. And the priests were very much in, in, you know, uh, with it. Now leprosy today is um, it's also known as Hanskin's disease. And it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, um, it's, still, it's still around. Um, this says that it's, uh, it's feared as highly contagious and devastating disease. Uh, it's well established. It's not as transmittable as it, and is very treatable uh, with early diagnosis. But in this time, uh, the only thing they did was abandon them, put them, put them, put them away, put them away. <clears throat> he says, 90, this is from the uh, National uh, Resource of Health. He says, 95% uh, <clears throat> of the human population is not susceptible to the infection, and the treatment and standard antibiotics with drugs is very effective. With not without nerve involvement, it should it could be a minor skin disease. In 19, excuse me, in 2015, the last year that they know anything about, there was 178 cases in the in the United States. Most of them, 72 percent of them, came from Arkansas, California, Florida, Hawaii, Louisiana, New York, and Texas. I don't know how New York got in there, but all of the rest of them are southern climates, and that's part of it. There was a leprosarium down in Carville, Louisiana, for years, and the last major doctor that was there was Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey got together. Philip Yancey was researching a book, Where is God When It Hurts? And somebody told him he needed to talk to Paul Brand. So he went to Carvel to speak to, to him. And, and a relationship formed for over uh, 40 years between these two God, guys. And they wrote several books. Um, one of them is Fearfully and Mon uh, Wonderfully Made. One of them is The Gift of Pain. One of them is Forever Feast. Uh, and they... they, they uh, they teamed up to write these books, and it's very well done. Now, Dr. Brand and his wife were both doctors. She was an ophthalmologist, and he was an orthopedic surgeon. They grew up, he grew up from English parents uh, in India, and he was, <clears throat> he was educated, and uh, he got his MD or his medical degree from, from, from the university in London. 
So it, it's, he, he had a very strong influence and he was a fine Christian, a fine Christian. I'm, I ask Art to lead, read just a little bit of what Philip Yancey says about Dr. Brad uh, and, and his uh, desire to cure these people. That first visit lasted a week. I accompanied Brand on his rounds, sitting beside him as he studied the ulcerated feet and hands of patients, and visiting the labs that whirred with the sounds of early generation Vax computers. At night, in their wooden house on the hospital grounds, I would share a rice and curry meal with him and his wife, Margaret, a respected ophthalmologist. Then Paul would prop up his bare feet, and I would turn on the tape recorder for discussions that range from lepralogy and theology to world hunger and soil conservation. Every topic I brought up, he had already thought about in some depth. He quoted Shakespeare and discussed the derivation of Greek, Hebrew, and Latin words. During breaks, he taught me such things as how to select a right fig. Watch the ones butterflies light on several times testing before flitting on to their preferred overripe fruit. And how African weaver birds build their elaborate nests using only one foot and a beak. The conversations that stand out sharpest to me now are those in which he recalled individual patients, nobodies on whom he had lavished medical attention. When he began his pioneering work, he was the only orthopedic surgeon in the world working among 15 million victims of leprosy. He and Margaret performed several dozen surgical procedures on some of these patients, restoring rigid claws and uh, usable hands through innovative tendon transfers, remaking feet, forestalling blindness, transplanting eyebrows, fashioning new noses. He told me of his patients' family histories, the awful rejection they had experienced as a the disease presented itself, the trial and error treatments of doctor and patient experimenting together. Almost always his eyes would moisten and he would wipe away tears as he remembered their suffering. To him, these, among the most neglected people on earth, were not nobodies, but people made in the image of God, and he devoted his life to try to honor that image. Going back to the passion has some of the same things that Dr. Brand talked about in the image of God and everybody is unique and it came out in most every sermon I listened to and our young people got to witness where that they were unique and God had a purpose for them in life and that the prayer of every person that led the conference was that when they left there they would be different and continue to be different the rest of their life. So Dr. Brand saw the human part of these people who were basically castaways. So with all the history of the Old Testament where we see that they were, they were done away, they were thrown away basically, vanished to the backside uh, it's, uh, it's interesting where Jesus picked up. We have two Old Testament where people were healed. Uh, one was Miriam, uh, Moses' sister. She started a little coup against Moses and God struck her with lep uh, leprosy. Moses interceded for her 
and for seven days she had the leprosy and then she was cured then you know the Syrian camp uh, captain of um, the Syria's army there general whatever he was called Nahum he was he was had leprosy and he went to the river Jordan and Elisha healed him so in the New Testament this is the first time we're seeing this in in the in 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 um, in Matthew and he starts out here and I'll read it again when Jesus came down from the mountain large crowds followed him and a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said Lord if you are willing you can make me clean and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said I am willing be cleansed and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your, and show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, can you see that this man was healed? Jesus touched him. He said, I'm, If you're willing, I want to be clean. This was a nobody. This was a Gentile. Uh, he says, I, I, if you're willing, I want to be clean. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he touched him and he cleansed him. And then he says, now go to the priest and show him what's happened. Can you imagine this man going to the priest and saying, I've been, I've been healed. And here is the the results of the healing what what would they do they had never they they didn't know anything about that but anyway it was it was that so here we have the first healing in chapter 8 and the healing was a nobody he was a he was a gentile <clears throat> verse 5 and when jesus entered capernaum now, if you look on the map I gave you, and this is just for reference, and we'll, as Art and I go through the rest of the book, we'll show you some of this. But you see Galilee, you see the Sea of Galilee, and, and then up at the top it says the Mount of the Beatitudes, and then you see Compertium. So that's the area that we're talking about here. He, he didn't travel far from the Mount of Beatitudes to Comper, Compernium. And that's, that's, that's where he was. So, <clears throat> when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him. Now, a centurion, here again was a Gentile. He, he was a Gentile. Uh, <clears throat> but a centurion, as we studied when we went through the, the Gospel of Mark, every time a centurion centurion was mentioned uh, it was mentioned in a very positive light in Acts when we went through and we had we had um, the centurion there that was named Cornelius uh, it was mentioned in a very positive light these guys uh, had a, about a hundred over them according to some of the research I said I, I heard or read this this week about 80 of them were soldiers and about 20 of them were servants. And so he had, 
this contingency and he 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 was he was a believer because let's continue to read what he said here uh, when Jesus entered Capernaum a centurion came to him imploring him capital H and saying Lord my servant is lying paralyzed at home fearfully tormented it wasn't for him it wasn't for his family but it was for his servant the centurion uh, had compassion on the guy that served him and he says he's fearfully tormented and Jesus said in verse 7 I will come and heal him verse 8 but the centurion said Lord I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof but just say the word and my servant will be healed for I also am a man under in thought under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my slave do this and he does it now when Jesus heard this he marveled and said to those following truly I say unto you I have now not found such great faith with anyone in Israel so this guy was a was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile, but he was a God-fearer, and he had compassion on this man who, who worked for him or who served him. Verse 11, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But, the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, into the place, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John says that a little bit different. John says in chapter 1 of John, he says, He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But to those who believe on him, he gives the power to become the sons of God. Jesus said, I haven't seen this kind of faith, not in Israel, not in Israel. And he says, there will be some that are from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that will be cast into outer darkness. Verse 13, and Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very day moment the second healing we've seen in in a sh few short verses one he touched the man jesus touched the man in this case all he did was speak he said go and he's healed he just spoke and he was healed okay let's continue when jesus came into peter's home he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. Now, this is healing number three. And he touched Peter's mother-in-law. 
she was sick in bed. <laughs> Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left and she got up and waited on him. We've talked many times about healing and in the New Testament and when God heals, he heals immediately. Bingo. He's healed. Now, if you were in bed with a fever, how long will it take you to get out of the bed with a fever? Take a few days, wouldn't it? You know, you'd, I'd drag around one or two anyway just for sympathy. But uh, anyway, he, 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 uh, he had... Peter's mother-in-law there. She was sick in bed with a fever. Jesus touched her. She got up and waited on him because things were fixing to happen. She got up and waited on him. Look, look at what happened on verse 15. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all that were ill. She needed to get on the ball because all the community was coming to her house. Jesus was going to heal these people that came. We don't know how many, but the scripture just says many. So he touched her. So this is two he touched, the leper. And Peter's mother-in-law, he touched, he spoke to um, the centurion's servant. And <clears throat> says, this is, was fulfilled by what was spoken through Isaiah, the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. All right, hold your finger there and let's go to Isaiah. Um, Matthew, excuse me, Psalms is in the middle of the book. Proverbs, just go to the right. And it has uh, Isaiah. Let's go to 53, which is a very, a very familiar part of Scripture. And <clears throat> this was fulfilled while Jesus was alive. More times than not, we talk about this being fulfilled at Jesus' crucifixion. But in this particular case, according to Matthew that he, it was fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said. So in chapter 53 of Isaiah, let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> Surely our griefs he bore, he, excuse me, he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the chastening of our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, we're healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Uh, the whole chapter is, is tremendous, and it points to uh, the cross and what Jesus did for us. But in this verse 17 of chapter 8, he says, this was fulfilled what was spoken 
by the prophets. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Okay, we'll see how far I get in this one. Verse 18. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side. Then a scribe came. A scribe. Well, in chapter 3, we have at the baptism of Jesus, um, we have... um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, and Jesus and uh, John said, "You brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" The Pharisees, the Pharisees was a sect of Judaism. They believed in the resurrection. <clears throat> they also, to be a Pharisee, you needed to know the first five books of the Bible by heart, every jot and every tittle. The Sadducees. were uh, not as devout, but they did not believe in the resurrection. Okay. So the Sadducees, the scribes and the Pharisees, excuse me, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, Jesus, or the writer here, John says, a scribe came to him. Well, we've almost, almost all all the time have used scribes and Pharisees in one one term, and they're they're pretty closely related. Um, scribes had the knowledge of the law; they could draft documents, contracts for marriage, divorce, loans, inheritance, mortgage, sale of land, and the like. Every village had at least one scribe. Pharisees were a member of the party that believed in the resurrection and followed the legal traditions. The traditions of the Father. I didn't talk to Velta about this, but I kind of look at it this way. A scribe is a paralegal. A Pharisee is a lawyer. (laughs) That close. (laughs) So, this scribe, So a scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. There's a song we sing sometimes for invitation. And I don't like it. Because it's very convicting to me. Wherever he leads, I'll go. That song, every time we sing it, sends me to my knees, so to speak. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I can't sing it. Because I suppose I'm afraid of where he'll lead me. I'm just pausing for station and identification. This scribe says, Lord, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. Wherever you want to go. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That Son of Man phrase, the last time we heard about the Son of Man was when we were studying Daniel. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said, follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. The scholars said that the man's, the man's dad wasn't dead yet. But he wanted to stay until he was dead and bury him, and then he would follow the Lord. <clears throat> I've often talked about childhood conversions. And parents and grandparents, you need, you need to nail it down. When a, when a child comes to know the Lord, because in later years, in later years, they're going to doubt what they did as a 9 or 10 or 12-year-old boy, girl. I've told people that I've counseled that, that led a child to the Lord, Go drive a stake in the ground. Go get you a piece of pipe or a piece of rebar or go out there and drive it in the ground. And then years later, when your son or daughter comes to you and says, I don't know if I'm saved or not, take them back to that stick in that pipe. You remember what you did. They're responsible what they did as a 9 or 10-year-old boy. They're not responsible what they did earlier or later. But that conversion, one man had a garage, a separate garage, and he went out back with a crayon and he says, named his boy, and he wrote it on the wall in the back of his garage, made a profession of faith. And several times later, he took it back, his son back, and says, look at that. The other danger is when, when a young person makes a confession or wants to go to I've got to stop it's it has to do with uh, with people who who want to go to full-time service you know and and sometimes it wanes away um, we need to know I, I had some other facts here and based on some of this um, uh, let me just read you one thing uh, there's a lot of a lot of things about today about young adults <clears throat> leaving the church and and that they they uh, are grown up in the church and yet when they get out of high school they tend to leave but <clears throat> there's this writer who was, he came from Lifeway uh, about a year ago, that the research is that a connection with older adults matters. 
The undeniable correlation has been made between the investment of adults into the lives of their likelihood of their youth and their likelihood to remain engaged in church. The more adults invest in a individual student's life, the less likely the student is to walk away from church after graduating. We, we may not have children at home, but there's children in church here that are looking up to you. And the more we can have involvement in them, according to this study, the more secure they'll be in their faith. We can talk about this another time. Well, Art, I've stirred it up enough for you, so next week we'll, we'll, we'll let you clean up my mess. Okay. Any questions right here? All right. Let's